A group of orcas, better known as killer whales, they appear to be attacking and even sinking some boats off the coasts of Portugal and Spain. The question this morning, why? Audio listeners, I recommend stepping over to YouTube for this very visual intro and for the upcoming clip from the film that I've been working on with our dear guest, Alan Charnack, the pessimistic environmentalist. A reminder that Moneyless Society is listener-supported. It is a labor of love. It is a gift. But it is also very labor-intensive, and we are all struggling within this monetary system to do it. Remember, we are independent media. We don't have George Soros funding us, so it really helps us when you do little things like leave us nice reviews on these audio platforms. Hit subscribe. Leave us a comment. Click the bell. Do the thing. We love you very much. Remember, the light bulb was invented by candlelight. We critique these systems while participating in them because there is no alternative. Yet. We lost both riders. into a 24-hour day, our industrial revolution began 0.0002 seconds ago. And in that time, we have fucked so much of it. Half of it is all gone, and it's never coming back. I get so sick and tired of people telling me that it doesn't matter that life will come back, that it always comes back, and the planet is going to be fine without us. Guess what, asshole? It's not! Okay, just because it has before doesn't mean it has to. This is needless. This is senseless. Life is precious, and it only happens once. What we're doing makes no sense. This is real. This, this is real. Not money! Why are we doing this? To the elitists, what do you want from us? What do you want? We have given it all! We've given it all, we've given it, we've taken it all! Why? For what? And for the people, the masses! What the f are you waiting for? This is our time! This is our world! I don't want to be angry anymore. I am tired of it. I am done with anger, but I have no choice. Raging against the dying of this light. I've only got a hundred years on this planet at best, and it's gonna be full of misery because people just want more. The elitists in charge and the masses together we are in this together! Elitists, you do not want us against you. When you take this from us, then we take you with us. We'll have nothing left. And trust me, you do not want to fuck people who have nothing left. They're gonna take it out on you. Ah! Think of all the amazing things that we could have done together. 
we could have made this whole thing a beautiful adventure. We could have learned incredible things, gone to incredible places, and just up for money, of all things. <clears throat> How stupid. Respect existence or expect resistance. have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the systemic problems in our world. And the real solutions we have today. To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society. That sustains all life. You may think it's an impossible dream. But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Matt Holton, Amanda Smith, and Zachary Marlowe. And together, we can move past this economic absurdity and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society. Two words, Orca Pod, the long-awaited Moneyless Society deep dive no pun intended, into the incredible first positive news that we've heard in a hell of a long time. A folk legend arising that's spreading across the, making waves across the internet. Everyone is posting imagery and stories and feeling hope for the first in a long time of bad, bad, bad news getting worse. Of orca whales seemingly rising up against the mechanisms of capitalist industry and ripping the rudders off of ships. So to talk about this uh, wonderful topic, we have Ron Wolf, of course, member of the team. And uh, I'm just so excited about this personally. One of my best friends, one of my favorite humans, potentially one of the most interesting people alive, the Antifa super soldier, the pessimistic environmentalist, Alan Chornak. So Alan, just get into it, rip into it. Crack the cannon, blow up. What the hell is going on with these orca whales? So it appears to me that this is a, um, a resident pod of orcas that have simply um, take, begun the process of taking revenge on boats that have endangered their hunting grounds and their overall territory. It seems like they're getting very fed up with the noise pollution that's produced by these uh, by these yachts, by these boats. It's not just their physical presence, it's also uh, their, their auditory resonance uh, going throughout the waters that's uh, really upsetting them. There's not really much else I would say that I could contribute to that because there's a lot of unknowns. All we know is that this pod has been here for X amount of time. We know they've done about uh, in the ballpark of 20 to two dozen of these uh, attacks in, in, in the past month. And it's in the Strait of Gibraltar. Uh, so if, if there's any more information that you have on that, I'll be able to comment more on it. But that's that, that's pretty much it. I I did a I did a fucking submersible deep dive last night into all aspects. Did you pay two hundred and fifty grand for that deep dive? 
Hey, I knew the fucking sub jokes would come. Another, another just boon for the working class that some billionaire doofus sunk himself and a bunch of his friends. But uh, yeah, the sonar is fucking with the whales because they're extremely sensitive to it, and it's pushing them to kill themselves. It's making them insane. They're they're beaching themselves in some cases, Uh, and beyond just the Strait of or the the Sea of Gibraltar, this is spreading. This is why this is such an amazing thing, an amazing meme, an amazing like folk hero story in the in the making because it, it's spreading. This uh, whale who they're calling White Gladys, and there's a gray Gladys too, mm-hmm. like Gandalf the White and the gray, and they're spreading. They're teaching other whales how to do this. It was said that uh, in one of the articles I read that something like a moment of extreme trauma or like a shock of 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 pain. Uh, potentially led her to crash into her first ship as a pregnant mother, this pregnant mother whale crashing into a ship out of a moment of torment of like, fuck this shit. I've had enough of this. You're overfishing. You're taking our food supply. You're dwindling our populations. You're, you're killing us. The things human beings are doing are killing these whales, but it is spreading all over the world. And uh, there have been sightings over a thousand miles away of orcas doing this in the exact same way. My favorite quote of of all the research that I found was uh, describing the pure joy of orca babies and and children like learning how to do this, that they're like turning this into a party, Mm -hmm. that it's spreading as this like jubilant revolution. It's not just... Like, it's not just like, oh, like we've got to do something. It's like they're, they're finding this sense of joy and jubilation and community and sociality in this act of rebellion. When I think about it in that type of context, like when, when you told me about that, it struck me almost as like they, they've been forced to live in secret kind of a thing. And this is their own version of like coming out to the world, you know, because it, it, it seems like there, there's been this sort of like peace treatise between the animals of the ocean and the human race. And now it seems like they're stopping that they're coming out and uh, mass. It's just something that kind of ha- had to happen amongst um, these communities. I don't think this is going to it's a novelty thing now, but I think this may be uh, the beginning of a recurring theme as far as um, just the ecosystem and um, its habit inhabitants just um, just uh, vehemently opposing like just the degradation and exploitation of their natural habitats that we've now co-opted for ourselves as just um, resource allocation measures like these are fish that you're taking out of the sea that were meant for these these whales and these other organisms to feed on these are um, these are waters that were meant to be swam that were polluting and dumping oil and all types of nonsense. And so at some point, like it's a natural defense mechanism for them to start to kind of view us as a, a threat in that sense. That's, that's a really, that's a good question. I wanted to ask you, Alan, is about the, in the extent of natural intelligence that these animals have is whales, especially uh, seem, I mean, for my novice digging into this are, inc- are, are highly intelligent, conscious, sophisticated, uh, socially advanced creatures. Can you give, give us a give us a deep dive on animal intelligence and that myth that humans have that we're the only intelligent life? Okay, so there's a, 
there's an amazing book um, that's called Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are? And um, so that's a really good read. It just into this general topic. Um, but it really depends on what you define as intelligence. I mean, um, Daniel Goleman has made an entire career for himself off of the idea of emotional intelligence, which is now a very commonly accepted attribute of people. Uh, but then also there's um, social intelligence, aside from emotional intelligence. And then we have these things that we use to measure um, uh that, that we use to measure uh, for other animals. There's this thing called EQ, which is a quotient. When it comes to humans, we are somewhere in the ballpark of, I want to say it's a 5.8. Meanwhile, orcas are at a 2.5. Um, bottlenose dolphins are going to be um, intermediate between the, uh, the two of us, or, or perhaps it's bottlenose that are at 5.8, and then humans are um, at an 8 themselves. But then there's another way that you can measure it, um, which is going to be in basically the, um, the wrinkles that we have uh, in our brains, right? When Einstein died, they kept his brain in a jar because they wanted to see if his brain was extra wrinkly to be able to have double the cognitive RAM or whatever. And there was nothing special about his, but what did have double the brain wrinklage uh, are orcas. Orcas have double the amount of wrinkliness in their brain that we do. And some people lead this then to think that they have a higher cognitive ability than we do. Um, so basically in terms of writing them off, um, in terms of intellect, yeah, we, we shouldn't, but how do you measure things like, you know, consciousness, sentience, et cetera. They, they pass the self-awareness test. I mean, we, we put them in front of a mirror and they know that it's them. Um, when we, when we put, you know, markers on them, they will acknowledge it. Um, they give each other names, they have dialects, they have culture. Um, we, I mean, they, and, uh, elephants, for instance, they, they, they both possess this ability. Um, and they've, in a, in a sort of way, domesticated themselves. So uh, it really just all depends on the parameters. But in terms of being the only other conscious animals, that's absolutely not true. Um, because there are, how, let me ask you that, Ron. How do you define consciousness? Yeah, I was going to say um, I defined it in the way that you were saying as um, being aware of like its own existence, not necessarily like just oh, like and we have the, the, yeah. and there there are there are many different organisms that do that. Well, yeah, that's that's just what I heard. I mean, oh yeah, no. So, um, so other other forms of cetacean do that. So dolphins, orcas, porpoises, um, octopods or octopus, they do that. Um, uh, crows and ravens are highly intelligent. Elephants are highly intelligent. Um, I don't actually think that rats have actually passed that test, though. I'm I'm, I'm almost confident that they haven't, but. Um, in any case, yeah, no. Um, but, but but orcas are definitely at the top. I mean, they're the apex predators of the ocean, and they're also uh, towards the top when it comes to uh, intellect that we've discovered in the animal kingdom. I was just going to say that the uh, the concept of intelligence is funny because, you know, you know, we have all these, you know, kind of uh, seemingly abstract markers of intelligence when the obvious intelligence test that he, most humans are not passing because they're doing things like using single-use plastic, you know? fucking you know individually we're i'm drinking this delicious guanabana juice out of a, a product that's made out of a non-renewable resource petroleum that we are extracting and fracking out of the earth so that i can drink this this delicious uh unsustainably harvested juice and then it'll end up in a garbage can and then that's going to end up probably in the ocean somewhere along that that chain. We're filling the ocean with junk. We're destroying the world for money. We're doing all these nonsensical things that are just clearly highly unintelligent. We're doing them in an intelligent. We're using. We're wrinkling our brains to do really stupid shit. 
So, so then you are using um, intelligence to mean you are using information available to you to make predictions, or are you saying learning from the past? How are you defining it in that context? I'm, I'm being kind of cheeky, but I think it's like it asking, like a friend was asking the other day, he was like, using plastic to wrap our food in, to wrapping a banana in plastic when it already has a housing, is that intelligent? Just in a basic way, like, is that intelligent behavior? Burning fossil fuels when we know scientifically that that's going to kill us, is that intelligent? Is that intelligent behavior? I, I would say it, it depends on what, your, on what your goal is, if it's intelligent. I mean, if you're trying to protect the banana from something, then yes, it is. But I mean, when it comes to from a sustainability standpoint, of course not. Um, when, it, when it has a natural... So, if, if you're saying, okay, I want to protect my banana from blemishes or from other particulates getting on it, then yeah, putting saran wrap on it is not a stupid idea. But what is a stupid idea is the sentiment of wanting to protect a banana from getting dust on it, you know? So, I guess you could go in that sort of roundabout way. But all in all, yeah, humans... Um, I think when we say the humans are an intelligent species, first off, we're looking at the most intelligent among us, but we're also looking at accrued knowledge. And in our species' case, we're able to store our information on both devices and in written language. That is one of the things that is different between Homo sapiens and all of the other species of animal in the world, is that we can write. No other animal does that. Question for you, Alan. Yeah sort of uh, jumping off of that topic into another, uh, what, what are humans doing to the oceans and just how bad is it? I mean, this is, uh, this is what, I, what I love to bring you on the show for is to uncork the, the pessimistic environmentalists to talk about, yeah. you know, to plumb the depths of your knowledge about just how fucking bad things are and, wh and how, why, this is the essential question, why have things in the ocean gotten so bad that orca whales, whales, you know, such peaceful, tranquil, serene, beautiful, harmonious creatures are ramming their bodies into ships as a protest. Um, I mean, I, I know that you want me to get into uncorking the pessimistic environmentalist. First things first, though, I do need to get into the, the nuts and the bolts of orcas themselves in their conduct. While I think that the moniker of killer whale is really bad, it's worth mentioning that their intellect is on a similar wavelength of our own. And therefore, when, whenever you see an animal that teeters close to that, and we see this bell curve of uh, attitude and disposition, on one end you have very peaceful animals, and on the other side you have very cantankerous animals, to the point of even cruelty versus uh, peacefulness. You can find dolphins, plenty of instances of dolphins that will rescue people from shipwrecks. But then on the other side of the curve, you have dolphins that will literally uh, commit, you know, assault against people. Um, premeditated as well. Chimpanzees will do the same thing. Um, so orcas are not uh, entirely, um, you know, uh, animals that are without fault. I mean, like they're one of the few animals that torture for fun. But now it's just that they're di they're directing it towards humans in a in a premeditated way um so, so they're committing grand conspiracy i guess you could say but anyway how bad is the situation in the oceans um i mean how how bad do you want to stay up tonight um because it is a deeply existential thing i mean i i just went to the aquarium the other day and uh um i guess you could say in preparation for this episode uh but also just for fun and i i can leave a zoo and even a museum 
sometimes. Um, not nearly as often, but uh, plenty of times zoos. I can leave zoos feeling, okay, you know, whatever. Um, museums, I'm a little bit more existential, but there's something about aquariums that I leave them and I am just so, so <sighs> distraught. I mean, that's that's our planet's home. When we talk about climate change and being the existential threat that it is, I don't think people do it enough. They say it, but they don't allow for, the, for it to really penetrate them, that thought. That is where life started, is in the oceans. We have nuclear waste. We have plastic. We have detonated nuclear bombs there. We have so many things wrong going on in the oceans and i'm just wondering on honestly which metric do you want me to use first a really really good specific point about this because this has been coming up a lot well not a lot not nearly fucking enough that only the doomers really are posting this chart where ocean temperatures are literally off the charts can you explain yeah. what that means Oh my God. Yeah. So what we're seeing is um, here in North America in particular, um, well, and all, pretty much everywhere that's bordering on the Pacific Ocean, but what's being focused on in the news is a triple dip La Nina and then an oscillation towards an El Nino. These are basically seasonal variations and patterns that aren't following along the four season pattern of the Northern Hemisphere, but basically what they're indicative of are dryness and uh, wetness, heat, and cold. And what's happening right now is the oceans are experiencing exactly what we're experiencing above. Hotter hots, colder colds, wetter wets, drier dries. What this is doing is pushing different types of air currents with different types of nutrients all across the world. And it's now coming back to bite us in the ass because we here in, um, in Southern California, we experienced the coldest ever recorded ocean temperatures just a few months ago. And yet the ocean, by and large, is warmer. You know, oh, if global warming is real, then how come I have a snowball in my hand? It's almost to that effect. Like I said, it's happening on land. It's happening in the oceans. But it's just it's all coming back to hit us all at once. And it's, it's one of those if you see it, then it's too late. It should be something that you should know is coming just based off of the, like, I was, uh, like you were talking about, the, um, if you're an intelligent species, you should know. Putting all this crap in the ocean is only going to come back to bite you in the ass. Now it is. <laughs> uh, because now, now we're noticing increased salinity, you know, hypersaline uh, spots in the ocean, um, hypoxia hotspots or lack of oxygen um we're noticing a desalination in some parts of the ocean it's it, it's we're, we're fragmenting the ocean and whenever you fragment a habitat that extincts species whether it's a migratory species regardless of whether they're doing dial vertical migrations like whales and lanternfish or even um x to y migrations like other types of whales um it's, it's just not good because they, they, they can't survive. I mean, we, we all um, experienced this when we were kids, when we tried to take our fish out of the aquarium and clean their tank, and then we took them from one body of water into another, and then they fucking died because the temperature didn't match by just a few degrees. Now imagine that, but the, the bag of water is as big as a planet. That's essentially what we're doing. 
I mean, it's it's not just as big as a planet. It's like it is our planet. I mean, the yeah, the is. everything we consider Earth, you know, Earth, Terra, you know, the ground, the places that we stand on that are solid that aren't squishy. <laughs> That's like a fraction of what the Earth is, you know. And mm. I just think it's crazy that I was thinking about it last night that we know more about space than we do about our own oceans, than that we know about our own world. That we are an outlier. We are a minority. Of the life on this planet, these you know land dwelling, air sucking, you know creatures, yeah. and it's just the fact that the ocean, not parts of it, the ocean, the whole fucking thing is disturbed, should scare the ever loving shit out of people, and not in a hopeless oh no it's over it's doomed. It should move us to action. It should move us to do something about it. Yeah, let let this not lead you into despair, but let it radicalize you exactly, and that's the importance of being realistic with being pessimistic with being doomerous because otherwise if you remain optimistic oh cool yeah so why are you focusing on the heat wave in the ocean when you should focus on the fact that um that fucking ireland or, or iceland banned whaling it's like hey you know that's cool i guess but iceland's whaling practice by by people that have been going on for a couple hundred years they only kill like 15 whales you know, but then meanwhile, how much are uh, how many of them are being killed by pollution from plastic? How many of them are being killed by nuclear waste? How many of them are being killed by forever chemicals? How many of them are being killed by shipping vessels, whether propellers are chopping them up or ramming into them? How many of them are dying because they're starving? How many of them are dying because of X, Y, and Z? So I do not buy any of these notions of people that are just yeah trying to focus away trying to trying to divert it's almost like it's an organized attack against information that will radicalize people this should horrify everybody it, it, it should it really really should i don't know what else uh, what else to say and the sad part is that um in itself that a lot of times we um like collectively can be aware of some of the ramifications of and, and consequences of some of the actions that we're taking against the environment. And it still, like you're saying, doesn't seem to um, end up ever being enough to radicalize people to the point of action, direct action against these things, against these injustices, against the very biospheres that like we couldn't live without. I mean, it, we don't have to submerge ourselves in the ocean um, in order to benefit from it. And we don't have to climb a tree and pick its leaves and rub them all over ourselves and along with its bark in order to benefit from like the oxygen that um, it provides for us. So we've got to be more conscious of these things. Here's an interesting little dilemma that I guess I'm experiencing as well with um, with talking about not just orcas, but all types of animals that are disappearing is towing the line. I mean, it is seriously a funambulist walk of anthropomorphizing an animal versus comparing them to us. Do you know what I'm saying? Because think about like this. How many times have you guys seen in the past few weeks, there's been some post about the orcas and people have been sympathizing with the orcas. They're like, I'm on team orca for armed protests. But then meanwhile, anytime people even take up some semblance of any kind of protest, let alone an armed one, it only elicits people saying that's too radical of a response. So, I mean, not, 
Not that there would be, but then again, I could be wrong because people are fucking stupid now. Um, where they would chastise the orcas for not choosing a more peaceful form of protest. But um, why is it, do you think, guys, that people are not lambasting orcas, but then they are getting on the case of scientists like myself that are uh, that are protesting out in the streets? Why why is it different for an animal to take up arms against humans than it is for another human? Because humans have staunch and just stark egos where whenever we see someone else taking action that we feel ourselves, we should be taking action um, as well. Um, Our egos flare up and we begin trying to tear down that action based on um, an unfounded feeling of like righteousness and superiority over that person who humbled themselves enough to um, like put their ego to the back burner and take up a cause for the greater good for the survival of the species and not just this like our species but um this i mean i think the planet will be fine um but it's a matter of our ability to eventually like the cycles of earth whether whether it be with or without us like I, i think that's the main factor is um whether or not it'll heal and regenerate itself. I wanted to answer that question too. And I think it's to, to sort of uh, uh, multiply what you're saying, Ron. It's not, it's not just a feeling of superiority. It's a feeling of inferiority. And I noticed this really runs rampant in any activist or environmentalist or leftist or protest movement. There's just an incredible amount of inferiority and uh, like this feeling that people are not doing enough and that their way of doing something is to criticize other people and bring them down. And that's their way of of taking their moral high stance and saying, you know, I'm better than you because of this, when they're really just projecting their insecurity and their fear and their fragility onto people who have the courage and, you know, the wherewithal, the the guts to do something, to do anything. People would rather sit and critique the way that they're doing it as a way of basically vouchsafing themselves from having to do it themselves because they're afraid. They're afraid to go put themselves out there, even if they agree with it. They're afraid ultimately of questioning things and they're afraid of making a difference. I mean, in my experience with environmental activists, climate activists, uh, they're more afraid of, of solutions than they are of problems. They're more afraid of putting themselves out there where they look stupid or where they take a risk or a gamble intellectually, not just physically, not just throwing their body on the line and making a fetish out of you know, getting arrested you know, when they control the stakes and they know they're not going to go to jail and all this stuff. But it's like people are really afraid to uh, go out on a limb and, and believe something. And it's, it's easy to say this is bad because it's obviously bad, but it's really difficult to say, here is a solution, any solution, whether that's, I'm going to use this on a kind of tactic, or I'm going to advocate for this kind of world. I'm going to advocate for this kind of transition. And I think to pick up on that, that point about whether humans will make it like ultimately the earth has been through extinction events before. And, um, one of the most powerful scenes we filmed together for, uh, the film, Alan, was you talking about how, like, people say like, oh, well, you know, we might lose X number of species, but uh, the earth will heal. And you were, you said like in such a powerful, gave me chills filming it, gives me chills every time I watch it, where you were like, they're not coming back. Like life as it's formed in this way ha- took billions of years to 
I don't even know how many years to develop and it's not coming back. If it goes, it's gone. And if we go, we're gone. And, and we are just one of many species. It's like, we're, we're not just going to be the only species that goes. If we don't really cognizantly work together and take any fucking means necessary and take these orcas as our white and black flag to do something, we are going to see the cascading collapse of every single thing that we know of, everything that we can recognize. That's, again, that, that existential element of climate change that I wish people would focus on more. They use it as a term, but they don't know what it means. Existential is thinking about every single species that you look at around you and thinking how it got there. So when we look at, at, at orcas and dolphins, I mean, orcas and dolphins did not evolve for millions of years to get to this point. They are the biggest animals of all time and they have complex language they have families they have all of these things like they did not get to this point just to be taken out by us i mean and, and only then to never return we've never seen anything like them before we've seen mosasaurs we have seen sharks but there will never be another cetacean. There just won't. To see an animal... So, here, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. I'll make it as, as terse as I can. <laughs> That's the point. But, no, no. Terse, fuck terse. But, no, Spill but, your guts. Okay. This, this, Alan, this is, the, this is your genius, really, is that you feel this shit so intensely, and it takes you places. And you open your mouth and you speak, and I, and I just... That's why you're here. Go nuts. Go wild. The, the, this is what I want to impress upon people that are watching and listening is to think about the widespread presence, not domination, but presence of mammals on this planet. This has been a work in progress for the better part of 100 million years, roughly thereabouts, roughly 66 million years ago, a space rock six miles across hurtled 30 kilometers per second into the surface of our planet, and it wiped out the non-avian dinosaurs. All of the ecological niches that the dinosaurs occupied, the roles that they played in their respective ecosystems, they were vacant. This allowed for adaptive radiation to take over. Mammals just kept on mutating. They kept on going. They filled in those cracks. Within 10 million years, they were there. And then a few of them that developed hooves, perfect, upright walking on their fingertips, perfect for staying on their toes, being agile, quick, and nimble on grassland and on rock. Some of them came a bit too close to the coast. And then they specialized, and they kept going deeper, and they kept going deeper. So 100 million years they've been here on the land, and then... About 10 million years ago, 20 million years ago, they started to work their way back into the oceans. And then they ended up becoming the biggest things that this planet's ever seen in terms of a living animal. That's just, I, I don't know, like th th that type of image of an animal coming onto land, dominating after a mass extinction, and then going back into the ocean only then to be the, the canaries in the coal mine and also the ones that are championing and leading this charge against climate change in a new era that is crazy that is so cool to me 
I want to uh, I want to go on a, my own little tangent there because in my research last night I really went down a lot of pathways because I mean there's just so many places we could take this I mean the whale I everyone listening to this is like your call to action I'm telling you right now is just research whales is just gain a sense regain a childlike sense of wonder and connection and empathy for these creatures and to just just rediscover them because they're fascinating. And they connect to so many things. I mean, whales poop is one of the most important things on earth because it has all these massive ecological benefits. Alan, we will get into that. that. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the big thing, and this is this, this is the tale that I want to tell, but, um, really, I just, I, I think that this is so powerful because it is a myth. It is like, I was talking to you about this last night, Alan, that this is like a much grander story than we've ever seen before. It is, it is truly cosmic, truly planetary in nature. It is epic and tragic and beautiful and jubilant. I mean, what these creatures, these sensitive, sophisticated, intelligent creatures have gone through and are going through and, it, and their response, which is heroic, is, is brilliant. But I, I want to bring this back here because the story of the whale is in its own interesting way like I don't know. I was just I was trying to get ChatGPT to write me this story last night, like in the style of Herman Belleville and Cormac McCarthy, of like the story of of uh, humanity as told from the perspective of whales, and it just couldn't do it. It just couldn't. It couldn't do it to my satisfaction. It was very sophomoric, but but anyways, like I I thought I saw I saw human history through their beautiful black eyes, and I, I was reading about indigenous relationships with whales and that they considered them as people. They considered them in many places where they knew them and interacted with them as equal to us as as people and they had revered them they had relationships with them they fucking interacted with them they said that they healed people they said that they had medicine that they provided for us they had a complex relationship with them and the whales like were with it they, they interacted with them they knew them they like saved children in instances etc and we go from that to the colonizers coming to this land and they brought with them a completely different this value system a completely different attitude toward nature and they started to hunt these whales. I mean, this is like a, a, a perfect lens to understand capitalism, that there was this craze for whale oil, for burning for lamps, so you could stay up all night reading your Bible, <laughs> or uh, for ambergris, for perfumes, and for lubricant, which I think is fucking hilarious that these colonizers were like hunting the, these giant sea monsters because they couldn't get their chick wet. But they, they, there was this craze for whale oil, which is the precursor to fossil fuel. And then fossil fuel was discovered and the whale industry, whaling industry went under. And this is an example of like, of like an innovation ending another industry, killing it, destroying it, destroying the livelihood of those whalers because the new, the hot new thing was on the block of burning this thing we could drill out of the ground and burn. And it was so explosive and powerful and wonderful. And we did so many great things with it and there were no consequences, right? No. We burn that shit with such vigor and such addictive gluttony that we have warmed the very planet that we all depend on. The oceans themselves are, are cooking. And the whales, as you said, these canaries in the coal mine are reacting to that. And it's come full circle where, where they are setting themselves against us. And as we we're saying earlier, you know, we hope that this is the leading a charge of nature, of other species to recognize their part in this. I mean, there, there was a, a witness, people witnessed an assembly of like hundreds of whales with other species of whales, with dolphins. And I hope, 
I like to think and I hope and I dream and many other people who are touched by this symbol in this story feel the same way that nature is defending itself that we know like the climate activist slogan we are nature defending itself these creatures are rising up to wait there were there, there was a there was a there was a get together of whales across species different whale species i mean there's only a few pictures that were seen like they didn't really study them in depth but and they were right. like oh well, it could have just been a coincidence they could have just been hanging out but there was a, a massive assembly of whale massive assemblies of whales have been seen lots of them coming together Clearly, they're having workshops and seminars, but uh, it was witnessed that there were multiple species of whales coming together with dolphins, potentially collaborating, potentially conspiring. How long ago so, was this meeting? Re very recently. Okay. Yeah, because I've, I've, I was thinking, because you also said that, um, that there have been orcas that have been going after boats in not just the, the Strait of Gibraltar, but in other parts of the world. A thousand right? miles away. Yeah. So I would be really interested um, um, because, you know, we, I, I mentioned that this is a resident pod that has been doing this stuff over in the Strait of Gibraltar, but then there are also the transient orcas. So I would be really curious if it's possible for a transient orca basically to be the coordinator or the messenger, like basically going from one end of the planet to the other, basically, basically just like the... Um, the Paul Revere of orcas <laughs> just the going bar, around the orca bards. They're going around yeah. and they're whispering. They're like a change is on the horizon. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. Um, you, you know, because I, I, like I mentioned earlier, you want to toe that line of anthropomorphizing and just really communicating what it is they're doing, because if they were colluding and conspiring, then you're not gussing it up. That's just what they were doing. But, um, <sighs> The only thing that really gets me to not um, completely believe that is um, in, in terms of just cross-communication. I mean, it's easy to lump dolphins and orcas and belugas and uh, humpbacks into the same group, but they are so loosely related to each other that if, if they are able to communicate with each other, like seriously, if, if they're able to figure that out, then they are more intelligent than we are. I mean, like straight up. I mean, because because the, the human the the human species has created somewhere in the ballpark of about five thousand different languages. Okay, and you know we're able to translate from one to the other for the most part, but even then we still have discrepancies in certain words across the languages. And there are plenty of words that we're not able to or languages that we're not able to translate. You know, I mean, the Voynich manuscript being one of them. It's been lost to time, and that's even with modern technology, even with your uh, chat G. G PT, uh, whatever. Um, and so if they're able to talk to each other, that's insane. Because also, we're, we're not seeing every single pod of orcas that are collaborating with each other in the same way that we're seeing the ones in the Strait of Gibraltar or the, the really famous ones that are over in South America, like towards the tip of uh, South America, the ones that, are, that intentionally beach themselves to catch seals. You know, like they've been doing that since 1985, but there's no other pot of orcas that does that. You know, so um, for for this for for this phenomenon to be observed across the world, that would mean that it is probably a coordinated attempt. Uh, so just a quick little factoid. I don't really know what to do with this information, and I didn't really dig deep into confirming it. But I did read that uh, <laughs> that like cetaceans have trends. Like their social behavior is fluid, and that yeah, people like have a, witnessed like, like wearing, wearing like, salmon as a hat. 
yes, yes. They're wearing salmon as hats and they were just doing it for a few weeks and then they just stopped. Like it caught on and they're just like, damn, sagging your pants. That's cool. Wearing salmon I, as a hat. That's fucking awesome. That looks great. Um, I, I feel like that, if anything, would have been a joke. Like, like it would have been an inside joke rather than a trend. That, that's amazing, though, that they have inside jokes, that yeah. these creatures have inside jokes, you know, that I think, like, the trend to, like, want to anthropomorphize them, I think we should want to cetacean of morphopize them, you know, because they have their own <laughs> consciousness. They, we can't imagine how they experience reality. You know, they can see sonar. They they understand how to take those rudders apart because they can see inside of them. They they use sonar to get like a scan of how they function so they understand the mechanism. We don't understand and can't understand what it's like to experience reality like that. I mean, there's so there are fish that that see, you know, thousands more colors than we do. You know, like a, a hawk can see like a mile away. We can't fucking imagine what that's like. Even like putting a different lens on a camera. It's not like that. It's like the animals that we share this planet with them, all of them evolved a different way of experiencing it, a different consciousness, right. a different reality. And I just, I got no point with that. That's just fucking awesome. It's just beautiful. And it, it's, yeah. it's something that we should be in wonder of and, and, and go far beyond this attitude that nature, as you said, Ron, is just our, you know, inventory. It's just an inventory for exploitation. Wearing, wearing wearing that salmon as a hat, yeah, it, it could have been an inside joke. It could have been a fashion trend because I, I've I've likened orcas to um, elephants prior, and we, I mean, even even in my line of work um, as a biologist, that like that that gives guides on safari, um, we'll see elephants that do stuff like that as well, where they take tree branches and they put them on, they wear them as a hat, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, very interesting. Seems like we've got a lot to learn from them. Well, not just not just orcas. I feel like humanity has to have more of a disposition of like wanting to learn from nature, using nature as a teacher. Because um, a lot of like, sometimes it may not be a matter of like intelligence or like whatever measure you use or means you use to um, measure it, but like the ability to like capitalize and um, maximize that. Um, capacity for intelligence um, and that depends on the lifestyle that you're leading if it's suitable and conducive to that intelligence and that um, that willingness to um, just thrive instead of like being in a state of survival I think that's the um, the primary factor that separates um, a species like an orca from a human being who um, like Alan was saying, have similar capacities for intelligence, but look at um, just yeah the way they interact with their environment versus we do. Um, it, it can be either a very constructive and pr productive thing, or it can be potentially destructive and civilization ending. So, Yeah, just thinking about like the way that environment dictates behavior, I think that's a central truth. I would still, I still call myself an environmentalist, even though it generally means like a Sierra Club kind of liberal, you know, it's funny people use the, the phrase like, you know, oh, save the whales, like it's some, you know, uh, champagne sort of uh, uh, fundraiser like sort a, of. Yeah, yeah, like, like, a, a, toast. like an, an ephemeral, not, not really serious pursuit. It's really a radical thing to recognize our environmental nature and that our environment really sculpts our behavior and the way we experience reality. And the greatest appendage 
of the human being for understanding the world is our social structure, is the environment, the economy, the you know material circumstances that modulate our ability to experience the world. And so our economic system has so fundamentally altered how we see ourselves, how we see the world, our relationship to nature, the amount of consciousness that we put in nature. When indigenous peoples didn't question that the rest of the animals and the rest of the life around them in the world had consciousness, were conscious and aware and sentient. And our people, my friend Bukonimaku down here, one of the first times I spoke with him, interviewed him, uh, he was speaking. The first, one of the first things he felt was important to say to me was he was saying like that, that banana you just ate, you know, it's a person. Those ants crawling on that leaf, like they're a person. That everything we share this world with is personified in its own way, in its own unique way. Not to just say they see the world as we do in this, you know, anthropomorphized human way, but that they are just as valid, just as conscious, just as integral to life as we are. I think that's that's honestly the the, the biggest instance of um, basically the original form of oppression and discrimination is the sentiment of speciesism and that our way is the right way and it's the only way. Ours is the default. Um, I've had so many people that have asked uh, me, um, you know, why do animals see this way? You know, I mean, like I, I like I, I mentioned rhinos earlier. Um, uh, just very briefly, but, um, you know, explaining to people that they have such poor eyesight and people go, why? As if the rhinos chose that, but I'm going, I mean, rhinos are pretty good at being rhinos. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, what, why, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like if, 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 if they, it, they don't need vision to be a rhino, that's just not how they operate. Like, why are you presuming that they're unhappy as a result? I mean, you, you mentioned a hawk earlier. I mean, the hawk would look at, with pity on us, we see th only three types of light. We don't see ultraviolet like they do. And we do not have that type of like zoom in capability with our binocular vision. So what the, f like, I, I, I don't understand how people can look at things that are around us and think, okay, gosh, ours must be the proper way. And I'm going, are you kidding? Like we're, we're, we're barely held together. I mean, the only thing that we're really good at biologically speaking is throwing things and sweating i mean that th th those are the things that <laughs> that, that we that, that we specialized in as a species that's how we you got our edge more, on this alan you forgot one more loving <laughs> <laughs> no i i want to i want to pick up on a point there though and i think that attitude extends so deep it's a fractal thing that that people will will look at poor people in the world or people in the third world or wherever. And they say, wait a minute, you're not good at leveraging financial instruments of debt to turn money into more money. You must not be valid. You must not be as deserving of existence as I am. You're not as good at the, oh, the classic colonizer trick is like you go someplace and you create some gamified structure in society and impose them on it. And when they're not good at it, when they're losing the game, you're like, well, we all have equal access to the rules of the, you know, you know, the rules. Oh, now who's a spoil? Who's a sore loser? Now you're not, you're, you're not being fair. You know, we, we all playing the same game. We all have equality of opportunity, but we're all different. And that's a beautiful thing that we have lost through this homogenization of the paradoxical individualist culture of capitalism that, uh, choose self-selects for a literally self-destructive and, incredibly narrow and specialized 
but unspecial, you know, way of being. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the more that we exercise that childlike wonder that you were talking about, the more that we go out and we learn about what's going on around us, the more that we realize that we just have a part to play. That's simply it. It's, it's like we're, we're not the plot. We're a character in the story that is the overarching history of this world. And I'm actually utterly delighted to do that. Um, when, when, when talking about the, the, the attachment to ideas, um, whether it's religion or spirituality and all that kind of stuff, um, versus, you know, things like what more of I identify with as like agnostic atheism and things like that, finding my attachment to the world and deriving spiritual enlightenment and fulfillment by just knowing that I'm going to die eventually and that I'm only around for, you know, 80 years if I'm lucky and, um, that like that I evolved from a common ancestor with chimpanzees and bonobos. Like I, I fucking love that shit. That is so cool. And then additionally knowing that I have a part to play as a human being in accordance with all of the other amazing things that are right outside my door. I mean, I, I, I feel like that that's something that we need sorely in our society. It's not to feel like increasingly disconnected to the point of then making ourselves feel special in our own personal narrative. It's actually understanding that we collaborate with our surroundings. And yeah, you're, you're completely right that that's a huge factor that's missing from our dynamic. Um, we've been just utterly conditioned to live life on a just surface and individual level when we can see like um, in nature, like I was saying, if we uh, use it as a teacher, we can see these other species and organisms using collaboration as their biggest uh, mechanism for growth and for the propagation of their species. Like it's like <laughs> we don't even we don't even care to continue our existence to um, replenish our lineage. Like we've just become so dis that disconnected to the point where on the brink of extinction, um, staring us in the face, you know, uh, we prefer to, um, like perpetuate this just vain existence that we've like sort of inundated ourselves with and to no avail it's yielded us no, no fruits, um, benefited society in, in no ways. It's actually done a lot more, um, detrimental things than, any sort of like positive or like sustainable um, ways of living. Well, so here's here's actually an interesting thought, and I want to bounce it off of the both of you, um, because Marlo, you mentioned the indigenous connection to animals. Animales. And I'm wondering when and why you think they regained it, because while animals that or other animals that live out in the wild, they don't have the complex understanding of how an ecosystem functions like we do. You know what I mean? Like they just do. They do their own thing. Even intelligent animals like orcas, they don't have the, you know, the self-awareness of, oh, okay, I need to, you know, eat lanternfish, which do this, you know, massive mesopelagic, you know, movement and then you know by pooping transport all of this stuff down to the bottom of the ocean and then when i die my carcass will have 150 years with a carbon stored in it and like you, do you know what i mean so wait, wait, how no, do we go is that, is that the whale is that the whale poop thing 
That's the whale poop thing. Yeah, that that in their carcasses. That. And, and, and you can't just be like, yeah, yeah, we all know this. The misophilagic. Like, you can't, what do you mean? Come on, go into that. Explain the whale poop thing. Okay. This is the soundbite. Like, why is so, whale poop the most important shit on earth? Literally. Uh, well, it 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 isn't. That's that that, that is worth mentioning. Um, it, it it's up there. It's definitely up there. Can you um, just give I, me a soundbite, Alan? I'm I'm just farming. I'm trying to farm you for soundbites so that we can get more likes, yeah. so that we can get more Patreon subscribers, so we can make more money, so that we can ultimately become rich. Come on, that's what we want, right? We want to be popular. We want to be rich. I want to so, have my own fishing company. I want to become the enemy of the orcas. I want them to be so successful that orca whales are crashing into me. <laughs> So basically, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, you're all good. So, so basically, <laughs> we have phytoplankton. Phytoplankton are photosynthetic. They perform the same thing as plants, where they they need sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide to do their thing. Um, then they are consumed by zooplankton, and the zooplankton are going to be consumed by um, either you know, smaller fish or directly themselves by what we call lanternfish. Lanternfish are, are an entire family um, of fish. Uh, they're, they're bioluminescent, hence the name lanternfish. And no, they're not the things from Finding Nemo. Um, def- like pe- people think that shit all the time. They're not. Anyway, um, they're about as big as your thumb. But every single night, they perform the biggest migration on this planet. It's called the dial vertical migration where they go from the bottom of the mesopelagic, which is about 1,000 meters deep, and they go up to the top of it, which is about 200 meters. And what they do when they do that is they're going up and they're eating, and then they're going down, and they're transporting with it all of that carbon that was stored by the phytoplankton and the zooplankton then through that just energetic absorption. And then when they take it down to the bottom of the mesopelagic, they poop. And stored inside of their poop is all of that carbon and then what that creates is what we know as marine snow. And then other animals that are below, more, more benthic animals, they eat that too. And then it just basically just keeps going. So these animals that take the nutrients from the top, from the sun, they are taking it and they're sequestering it into the deeper parts of the ocean, providing food and sustenance. And so then when animals like whales, which store tons of plankton literal tons of it inside their bodies when they die you know they because of their the way that their bones and their bodies work and stuff like that um they float around for a few days and then they start to go down and then other animals that have feasted on them they poop that out turns into marine snow their carcass still has it stored in them so it's directly deposited into the ground and so then that sediment can remain there for hundreds if not thousands by some estimates millions of years they're effectively storing carbon dioxide or they're storing carbon so they're going so when it comes to lantern fish in general those fish alone are sequestering about 5 to 10% of all of our greenhouse gas emissions every single year and that's just lantern fish that's not counting whales so an intelligent species would recognize more whales is really fucking good for the planet it's good for all of us Correct. If, we, if we care if we care about reducing the amount of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere that warms our house we need to make sure that we don't kill any more whales and that we do whatever we can to foster the growth of more 
Correct. Yeah, the, the average the average whale carcass that goes through its natural life cycle and dies in the ocean will feed between 10,000 and 15,000 individual animals from between 50 to 100 different species, if not more. Um, incredibly important. Um, and it, it, it's also worth noting that that's when they die of natural causes. I mean, if, they're hauled, if they beach themselves you know, as a result of sound pollution, then that entire process doesn't happen. It just completely goes to waste. I mean, sure, they're eaten by seabirds and stuff like that, but um, um, it's, it's, it's not the complete fulfillment of that natural life cycle. Would it be natural for, for some animals to beach themselves? Yes. I mean, there was this really weird, bizarre, fossilized instance of a mass beaching of a pot of whales due to, like, you know, sound bouncing off of like you know a mountain and shit like that but that's beside the point but by and large it's happening with increasing increasing um increasing frequency and it's absolutely due to us and, and it's not right the the ocean deserves better no nah, fuck that gotta maximize profits at all costs can't leave the yeah, the whale market true. untapped <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they they did it just because um they they weren't strong enough. Only the strong survive. Yeah. the fittest, man. Yeah. Sorry, I took I took us all on a tangent there. You had something you were saying before we got uh, we went down the uh, into the fight. The, I can't even pretend to say that word again. Into the world of the uh, <laughs> of the lanternfish. It's kind of a thought experiment. Um, what, what was it? Take it back up. Um. Gosh, I'm trying to remember now. Um, oh. See the new exclusive Paula Deen Home by Serta Mattress Collection at America's Mattress in Freeholder Hudson. And come in and enter to win a cruise for two with Paula Deen. Quick reminder as I edit this video at 2.46 a.m., Moneyless Society is a labor of love and a gift. But it is a hell of a lot of labor as well to make these episodes and run these social media pages and run the organization and bring people together and fight the good fight. So special shout out to our patrons who make this all possible. And please like, subscribe, share, leave a comment, support us on Patreon and reach out. Let's get organized. All right, back to the show. I was, I was asking, you know, so, so animals do not know what they're doing, right? We are animals when our species got its start and we, we began our Homo sapiens diaspora across the planet. We did not know that we were uprooting species and we were causing wreaking havoc in those areas. Um, what was it, do you think, that led us to the self-awareness that we experience in present day? And what ultimately led to the divide between, um, you know, uh, b between cultures. So the American Indians, they tended towards more of a compatible, harmonious uh, experience with nature, to put it lightly. And then um, other cultures did not. So what was it about those ones that led to that departure, to that speciesism, that, that superiority? What was it and why? And then, like, basically, how can we return to that? What do you guys think? Go first, Rob. Well, I think first and, for, yeah, first and foremost, um, environment um, would have to be addressed. Um, epidemiology, epidemiologically, however you say that word. Um, I think it's been uh, well documented that environment plays the biggest role in 
the outcomes of one's life. And so the environment that you're subjected to will ultimately shape and mold your your personality and um, your decisions and the choices you decide to make, um, the, t- the type of world that you want to foster. Um, so in the case of, <clears throat> like you were saying with the Indians, they were raised in environments of egalitarian societies where they're with immediate family, maybe some, some cousins and some uncles, and they're all sharing, participating in like gift, gift economies, maybe some trading here and there. Um, so that's just a completely different like dynamic than when you um, colonialize that world and come up with the present, present day Western world um, that's solely predicated on individualism and competition and now everyone's fighting to survive with each other. Um, that's just a different existence. And so in order to undo that, I think, yeah, we can uh, look back at history, what societies did well, um, flourish. Well, well, so, but but I mean, like going back further, because you said that it's the environment that shapes us. So what shaped that environment? Why why did but, Europeans take to, towards such irreverence towards nature? Their where, evolutionary history, the... Um, the wars and the infighting, um, the like just moral ineptitude, just like the disregard. It, for... yeah, but, yeah, but then where did that come from? I, I got an answer for that. There's a great passage okay. in um, or section in, in uh, Jason Hickel's book, Less is More, about the sort of demystification of nature that accompanies like Cartesian dualism in this uh, religious sense that God is not in the world which basically arose yeah, to um, justify the rampant plundering of the natural world. That if nature is God, if God is in the natural world, you know, and there's not a separation between us and nature and God, and we're all having a, a beach party together, you cannot plunder and destroy and deforest and dismantle wantonly as if it's nothing, as if there's nothing in it. You can't do that. Whereas the indigenous peoples, many of them do not have a word for nature. They don't have a word for nature because it's not something that is separate from them. That when your world, when your life, your culture, your values, your sustenance, all of that comes from your harmonious relationship with nature. Not from your ability to enslave other people and take what they had and make you dig in the dirt or whatever it is to meet your needs. When nature is your mode of production, and you are connected to it, you are deeply aware of its cycles, its time scales, of how to work with it, of what it's what each individual plant needs and does as a medicine, as a food, how they work together, how uh, an ecosystem flourishes and thrives without humans dumping chemicals into it, how every animal creates, uh, perpetuates that collaborative cycle of nature. So they're not, they're far more than just something you look at as something that's external and outside of you. It is you because you're, you're literally eating it. You're literally consuming it and you're a part of that cycle. You are more than just something that is maybe less hostile to nature. You are a part of it, a steward of nature and are able to, as you know, there's evidence that many uh, large sections of the Amazon rainforest were cultivated. The humans are foresters, you know, humans are gardeners. 
We are incredible at creating and shaping ecosystems. And when I spend time with indigenous peoples, especially out here, which is you know why I'm here in South America, in Colombia, um, the highest and most revered people in their society are the wise men, as they call them, the mamos. And they are kind of like a, like a combination between a priest and a scientist and a psychologist and an eco ecologist, that they understand the ecosystem and they speak for it. They translate for it. They spend much of their life in deep observation of nature. I go on, I've been on quests with them where they're like, they're literally going into other ecosystems and like collecting soil samples and rocks and like anemones and birds and like not birds, you know, feathers, and they're collecting samples. They're very scientific in how they observe nature in the ways that they have this dynamic relationship, that they are understanding how it works and how to synthesize truths from it. So that that, that did partially answer my question. And admittedly, it was a little bit of me begging the question because eventually I knew it would come around to basically humans propping themselves up in a higher than status because of a supernatural belief essentially and um and that, that's so much of my stance of why i stand opposed to religion is because i make the claim that religion is why we have climate change and um i'd love to hear more about that but but then i'm, I'm also just like when it when it comes to what you were talking about marlo um how and why and when humans began that process because Humans, when when we first arrived to places like North America and South America, we extincted species. It, it, it was it wasn't just colonizers. It was early humans. You know, ten thousand, twelve thousand years ago. We have evidence of that. So, how did we go from being a of a, a reckless, expansive species to then becoming like the people that you are experiencing today? What was it, do you think, that transpired that allowed for them to experience that degree of enlightenment? I think that's conduct? a profound question. Uh, and I, I'm not qualified personally to answer it, but my gut is telling me certain things. And it's to ask questions like, when people arrived, humans arrived in North America first, that we have knowledge of, why did they arrive there? Why did they leave where they were before? And I would Because assume, they were following migratory animals. They were, they were, they were following things to hunt. Well, so they're living in a, essentially an insecure scenario, going into climates that they don't understand, and they're encountering scarcity. They're encountering a sort of trauma, a sort of lack, and they're encountering a changed climate. They're going to a place they don't understand, and they don't have that deep connected relationship with the soil, the climate, the plants, the bird life, all the animals around them, that they understand how to get them to work, <laughs> how to get them to produce enough that people can live without the short-sightedness of, you know, when you're hungry, when you're struggling to meet your basic needs, and poverty does this to us today. It's, it's funny, a, a friend of mine was, was saying like, oh, it's so amazing. You're with those people that they're living in this, uh, this righteous uh, sense of survival. They're surviving, fighting for their lives. It's like, no, they're not. They're not in the survival sense. They, they have a very peaceful, calm, settled demeanor because they figured out thousands of years ago how to live in a relative sense of abundance because they understand how to work with nature, they do it well, and they have a system in place, and they're not struggling to survive. They're not struggling to meet their basic needs, and they don't. They know where the next meal is gonna come from. And if they don't, they connect to the tribe and the community, and they sort it out. Whereas, if you don't know where your next meal is gonna come from, you don't, you're not able to delay gratification, you're in choice paralysis, it knocks a fucking full standard deviation off your IQ. You know, that's an, 
a faulty quotient of intelligence, but that's fucking huge. That's the difference between genius and an average person. When you're fucking hungry, you're stupid and you don't think long term. So, so, so basically, once humans settled, that's when they were able to do more rather than being nomadic hunter gatherer tribes. That's what then allowed them to sit back and go, okay, right, hold on. So we've been doing this wrong for quite a while. Um, let's let, let's look around us to see how we can do this more sustainably. I don't know about that. I don't think that's the the shift because many hunter gatherer societies live in extremely harmonious, balanced, sustainable relationships. But if you have a, a situation where you're going to literally a new continent where you've never been before and you don't know where you are, you don't know those people, those relationships. When I say people, I mean, you don't know the plants, you don't know the animals, you don't know the weather, you don't know the climate, you don't understand where you are and how to work with it. You know how to throw a rock at something and kill it. Well, so, but, 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 but again, because I, I was asking how do humans go from irreverence of nature, you know, just doing what they do, which is hunt. And then as a consequence of those actions, uprooting established ecosystems, how do we go from that to then in some cases up to the modern day, understanding how to better coexist with nature? When, what, like, when did we make that departure? Because, you know, it, it, humans didn't always live with reverence towards nature. Back then, we were just like all the other types of animals. You know, like we were just a hunting primate is what we were. Uh, but then but then we just eventually spread around the planet. Like that, that was the only difference. But then we became self-aware. And then we were like, okay, right. None of that anymore. Why? why? Well, so I, I, I'm going to – I don't know if we can answer that question here. Maybe we can uh, make that the topic of another pod. After some more research, sure. but I do want to say something. I think other animals do revere nature. I don't know if all of them do, but I love my favorite kind of video on the internet, and the algorithm kind of knows it, kind of doesn't. Is instances of mutual aid in nature, like the book Mutual Aid by Peter Kropotkin, is all about these symbiotic relationships in nature. Like I'm thinking about this video of, of a gorilla, of two gorillas, and they're just watching a, a caterpillar. They're just sitting there like this. They're oh, like, yeah, they're just yeah. watching a fucking caterpillar. <laughs> it's adorable. They have found bears sitting and watching sunsets or just going to beautiful places, places that they describe as like, right. it's a beautiful spot, like just a beautiful <laughs> overlook. And the bears are just sitting there, just sitting there, parking their ass on the ground and just like chilling. You know, you could imagine a joint between their, their claws, <laughs> you know, they're just appreciating nature. They understand that it's beautiful. Like when dogs are playing, they're having a fucking blast. They're having fun. They're curious. They don't just get enjoyment from ripping things apart. I think that we yeah. we think about nature in this very individualistic sense, and this is kind of getting into the second part of that question, because we have an individualistic society that is all based upon you know consumption, domination, individualism, hierarchy. We have a hierarchical society where you you, you reduce things to the individual, and so that reduces and bifurcates or isolates atomizes the way we perceive nature and the world around us when there's much more harmony yeah the, the the whole concept of there's a lot more harmony than conflict in nature and abandoning the the thinking of hierarchy as what we are meant to do oh my god like if there's anything that being a wildlife educator has taught me about humans in, in in places like the United States, it is that that's the only way that they think. 
I mean, they look at every group of deer that I show them. They look at every mob of kangaroos. They look at every crash of rhinos, every tower of giraffes, every herd of impala. And they ask, which one's the alpha? And I go, what the fuck are you talking about? Which is the alpha butterfly? <laughs> right. First of all, the man who, who, who coined the term alpha wolf has spent the whole rest of his career, like, clarifying that's not what he meant stop talking about it like that but then also i mean like they just assume that there has to be a leader calling the shots every single time and then i then this is my awesome opportunity i tell them they're anarchists they have horizontal hierarchy <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's there's no one single rhinoceros that tells the other rhinos what to do like the, the, you know like we'll, we'll watch this herd of gazelles just cruising across the, this hill and then people are going oh so is that one the leader and i'm like no that one's just going to find food and the other ones want to fucking come with it they're like oh word you're gonna go find something cool let me come with you it's in front so it's the leader <laughs> it's, it's 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 so unreal how people just think that that is what everything is like everything abides by that or i mean and then zach uh, to your point we just found out within the past like 12 months that bees play like they play with toys fucking awesome we're doing it's, a whole episode with the, we're doing a whole episode on bees coming up soon um yeah absolutely call me for that yeah yeah absolutely call me for that oh i've got a i've got a bee guy i've got a, a, a really interesting <laughs> bee guy who's like wrote cool. a whole book about the connection between bees money energy economics oh my wait. god yeah um but anyway, it's, you know, so many animals, they, they, they have downtime, like they, they play. I know that there's been that, that meme that circulated, especially about a year or two ago, where it's like you work more hours per day than a medieval peasant kind of a thing. It's like, dude, you like the, the phrase a busy bee. It's like, dude, you work more than a fucking bee does. Like bees play more than you do. How does that feel? Yeah, you I know? was, I was, uh, like. Again, questing with my uh, my shamanic compatriot Bunkwani Maku, and we were at the park and like just super chilling, just like following you know trails and just hanging out with the plants and the stones. And uh, I saw this scene of ants like going in circles, <clears throat> lifting this big leaf, and they were just going in this weird kind of figure eight pattern. And I pointed it out to him. And he was like, whoa, okay. And immediately we just, we were like the gorilla, those two gorillas looking at that, at caterpillar. that caterpillar, just like entranced by it. Cause it was so strange. There was, they weren't taking it somewhere and we, we could not understand what it was that they were doing. And I think it's, it, I couldn't anyway. I mean, I think he, his, his explanation was, was uh fucking crazy. He was like, they're telling us that the water levels are going to rise, it's going to rain too much, there's going to be a monsoon, and people are going to die. And I was just like, oh Jesus. my fucking God, dude. Well, um, well so hang on, um, because, because shamanism is um, you know, basically an early precursor to things like, yeah, superstition, supernatural beliefs, and religion. And so when it comes to seeing omens around there, I mean, like, at what point does it become um, seeing things that you know and understand and then misinterpreting them to just, you know, make a, a guess. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Well, so, like, if, if really, I see if I see a bunch of ahead. birds take off while I'm in the forest, then it's like, okay, so something disturbed them. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's or or, or if you see a bunch of crows that are all flying um, from different directions to converge in a location, it's like, oh, so it's a funeral. Got it. But so I want I want to make this point because this has been kind of an interesting, unexpected theme of this episode. Just like what is intelligence and how does our environment shape our consciousness and how we connect and how we see the world. How does an orca pod you know, uh, because they're a social organism and they're connected to other orcas, how does that change that their behavior, their play, their interactions, you know, all of that. Indigenous peoples who do live in this harmonious connection with nature, they have a, a different kind of consciousness. Spending time with them is very, very like mind bending and psychedelic to spend time with them and, and become acquainted with how they see the world because it's very different. They are perceiving and seeing things that I don't see. And it's, it's hard to even talk to them about like, what do you perceive? Cause he's just like, <laughs> I asked them like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? And he was like, he just shrugged and he was kind of like, do you see that? You see that bird right there? It's about to rain. And immediately it started to rain. It was just like, what? <laughs> so it's like, I really, I don't, I don't fully understand it and can't speak to it fully. But when you spend your life completely immersed in nature to the point where there isn't this separation between you and nature, even embedded in your language, it's like nature itself is this story. It is a part of you. It is an extension of you. And it is consciousness. It, it is a conscious part of who you are. And to study nature and be connected to it in its cycles and vicissitudes and changes in all ways is how we make sense of and understand the world. And I don't fully understand how that works and how they perceive reality. And, and that's a very interesting question to study with our Western brains. But I do see the results that they have an incredibly sustainable society where all people's needs are met, where they have very little conflict, where they revere nature. They don't have a sense of God as something external to them. They believe one of them told me that God is the highest identification that we can have. So it's beyond just me, beyond me and you, beyond the three of us on this pod, beyond our little community, beyond our political identification, beyond our identification in our ecosystem and our local geography, beyond our identification with ourselves and the birds and the bees and the orca whales, all of that together, con continuing to expand outward to where, until we are connected with everything. That is what God is. And that's how I see it. That's how it's my spirituality. That's my spirituality, me. No, it's not me. I don't exist because we're all connected. We're all one. And when we t dissolve ourselves and see ourselves more through the world around us, th that's when I think things start to make sense. And to impose our order outside of that and to try to rationalize things, I think is frankly insane. Do you think that that, um, that awareness, that, that ability to, to look around perceive process and apply context clues around us like you see that bird right there it's gonna rain do you think that it that it was things like that and then basically like the the, the joy and the satisfaction that you can derive from that not always right because I, I don't think your friend necessarily saw that as an ego stroking moment he was just stating it very matter-of-factly but so do you think that yeah but it, do you think that it's possible for that to sort of be more or less appropriated and contorted and bastardized and turned into this, I am mightier than like, if I can read nature, I can control nature. And then that's sort of like the Genesis of the human separation from nature kind of thing. Yeah. There is an element um, of that, but it's hard to use indigenous peoples as an example for this because 
I um, I don't think they're much to be faulted. Like you said, they're not completely without fault and without um, like quote unquote sin coming up short. But um, a lot of this lifestyle was imposed on them by foreigners. And it's a matter of, like you were saying, like how did those behaviors and um, like European immigrants come about um, in their culture? And initially, um it's it's a mystery like like we were saying it's a hard question to pinpoint but we do know that um environmentally for whatever reason there were certain hostile and um conflict oriented environments and they brought those sort of mentalities and paradigms elsewhere so yeah yeah go ahead I'm just laughing because we were we're talking about whales and we've gotten very far off of that topic. We'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle don't, about the whales. Don't worry. I, I, do wanna, I, I have I, a full plan on bringing it back. I, I do. I do want to. I can kind of maybe put a pin in this or put an ellipse into it. We'll continue this discussion. But uh, I think that was one of Murray Bookchin's um, notions that the birth of hierarchy did come from you know uh, spirituality and shamanism sort of devolving into a religious cult. I don't really share that view. I think that Why not? ultimately, well, I think that definitely happened in parts of history, but I don't think you can essentialize that as the point where humans broke off into the hierarchy. I think Why ultimately not? humans are hackable. We have a sociological nature and uh, there are certain things in our, the way our brain functions, especially in the ways that trauma forms and alters the way we perceive reality and perceive threat and form trust among people. And the feedback loop, yeah that uh, people who are experiencing trauma like that feel that they have to be defensive. They feel they're on the attack. They, ha they end up preemptively attacking other people because they feel like they're going to be attacked. It forms this complex that is acquisitive, that is defensive, that is about hoarding and storing and dominating and going out and fucking other people over. I think ultimately scarcity is what leads people into that. Scarcity, trauma, scarcity being a, a generator of trauma, but I think I think more than anything, it's it's trauma that's formed in the brain, that forms that that contorts us into these social structures that then become rigidified into hierarchies. Well, okay, so so, so so you've mentioned scarcity before. I mean, like earlier when I was asking about the genesis of, you know, humans' disregard, for, you know, for for nature and things like that, and you were like, well, when you're hungry you lose brain cells or like, or like you, you act stupid and everything. But then because that was in reference to humans spreading into the Americas and just all around the planet for that matter, nomadicism, hunting and gathering. But then you were saying, well, no nomadic hunter gatherer tribes, they understand. And I'm like, okay, so then, but, but then where did it come from? That like, cause you keep mentioning um, scarcity and I'm wondering. Well, so not all hunter hunter gatherers. Many of them lived. At, at, there's a great book uh, we mentioned a lot on the show called The Original Affluent Society, and you know there's just tons of anthropological evidence that peoples who live in that hunter gatherer arrangement do not live in scarcity. They don't live in a sense where they're really wondering where their next meal is going. They go out and they hunt all day, you know, depending on where they are, depending on their conditions. But there's certain peoples that live in desert climates and they're still hunting and foraging like 3,000 calories a day. They're fucking set. They have it figured out. There really are not a lot of variables in their environment until something changes environmentally. So it's not just uh, one mode of, of living over another. I mean, Graeber's last book, The Dawn of Everything, talks about so many different human arrangements and complexifying 
sort of social structures that change our, you know, uh, formulaic assembly line view of history and society. But I think really that the the key for me, and I, I think we should get back to Wales on this point, is trauma. Is if human beings undergo trauma, their brains react in a very similar way. No matter what culture they're in, no matter you know where they're raised, their culture and their environment can inhibit certain behaviors. But a human being going through extreme trauma is going to act the same way, more or less, because they're affected neurologically in predictable ways. So if human beings go through this kind of trauma, that their brains change, and they form these hard neural pathways reinforcing X, Y, Z. They're going to behave in this way. They're going to change. They're going to adapt, and they're going to be more susceptible to the formation of things like hierarchies. But it's ultimately a complex subject. There's not one thing we can't we can't in the same way to sort of bring this around. In the same way, we can't say there's one single solution. There's one policy: go vegan, uh, switch from renewable energy, or switch from fossil fuels to renewable energy. You know, this politician from that person. We laugh at these simplistic reductions because there's not one solution. There's a solution if there is one is a systemic change, but we have to think about human beings as systemic, as complex, as variable, as nuanced, as very, very different everywhere they are. But I think that one thing for me is going to be trauma. I think you doubt my powers and my ability to uh, to almost criminally uh, be re- be reductive in my ability to boil things down to a single sentence. I would say that the so not not in terms of solutions. Well, actually, you know what? fuck it. I guess it is. Um, like the origin of everything that's gone wrong is the abandoning of reality, the abandonment of fact. Because the second that we started to think that we were greater than nature, that was the original lie. That was the first ever lie that we ever told ourselves: is that we are greater than, we have ascended above, we have we have transcended rather. Um, and everything that we see now. So so in terms of, oh, I don't have to worry about this. This doesn't affect me. That's a fucking lie. Oh, this politician is going to represent me. That's a fucking lie. Oh, money is really important. It matters so much. It has such a tremendous... That's a fucking lie. So everything that we do, and the reason why we're in this problem, and the reason why, again, I say that things like spirituality, pseudoscience, um, religion, superstition, the belief in the supernatural... That's all to blame for climate change and the sixth mass extinction, the the degradation and the the destruction and the erosion of society in the natural world all hinges entirely on the unfounded beliefs. So if, if, if we were to abandon that and then go back to thinking, you know, things like, you know, return to nature, basically, and realizing, understanding what's real What's around us? Because so much of what people say about, you know, uh, oh, you know, we, we don't have to worry about climate change because, Ron, they, they use um, the same words that you used earlier, but they don't mean it in a similar way that you do, or at least they don't grasp it in the same way. You were talking about how nature will be fine. You know, eventually it'll recover. I mean, yeah, in a couple million years. Um, Marlo, when you and I were filming, and I and I addressed that point, it was it, it wasn't just once they're gone, they're gone, but it was oh, species have died before, and it's like yeah, but these ones don't have to. Like this is needless, this is senseless. Like just because it has in the past doesn't mean that it's going to. I mean, so animals like sharks, they've survived four or five mass extinctions prior to this one, but they're probably not going to make it through this one. That doesn't sit right with me. 
at all. And so the reason why people are okay with that is because they're like, oh, well, it's out of our control. It's out of our power. Or like, you know, um, what you were also saying that um, uh, you said it was Chomsky that, that, that mentioned that, 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 that whole um, uh, uh, spirituality is the origin uh, or, or, or that, um, that, that if you create nature into God, then you will not degrade God kind of a thing. That's exactly it. That's that's one hundred percent it, and and I make the point as well that whenever people say, "Oh, these people with climate change science and whatever," like like climate change is their new religion, and I was like, "Bitch, I fucking wish it was," because then people would probably fucking do something about it. You know, like like people have taken over the world for their fucking religion, but then we can't get people to do shit about their own planet dying because they haven't elevated it to that religious standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's a dangerous hubris like the territory that we're operating in thinking that we have shit figured out um when just that notion of us thinking that uh, has blinded us to everything that's telling us otherwise and now we're in a place where we don't even care to know the solutions to these problems because we don't care in the first place that the problems exist and it's not based on anything scientific or anything reputable it's based on um, ideologies like people's ideologies and the and the system and society that they've set up surrounding or predicated on these um, these ideologies, and we've just taken that for granted and allowed ourselves to be fooled in the process. Yeah, I think that the optimal word here is reality, and it's it's one of my favorite words. I mean, it's a powerful idea. I mean, it's something that isn't questioned enough. I'll give a little shout out to one of our uh, Patreon subscribers who um, uh, I've been getting to know our subscribers more and talking to them. And, and one of them was like, my, I'm always trying to encourage them. Like, what, what's your role? Like, what's your interest? Like, where can you contribute to this revolution? Like the best thing that we can do for each other is to help figure out like, what's your thing? You know, Alan is a fucking obsessed with wildlife and with animals and with nature and that you don't work ever. You don't have. You don't work a day in your life. You know, if, if we were living in moneyless society, you clearly would be doing exactly the same thing you were doing. You just do it more efficaciously with more resources and more, you know, affluence. But, you know, he was saying that uh, he's interested in studying reality and that people are people have always laughed at him for this in the idea that you can mathematically study reality or that you can study reality from the perspective of neuroscience or from physics, and this thing we call reality is ultimately this this weird thing we don't really understand and and that we have gotten away from in such a profound way in so many ways and it, 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 you just hit the nail on the head ron that we don't live in reality we live in ideology we don't live we, you know we we live in a scenario where the trauma or the scarcity that i was talking about can be induced by a fantasy by a lack of money by a lack of paper not by a lack of real resources, but people will literally die, like literally die from stress. Their heart will explode because they're so stressed about a figment, a fiction, fairy dust, money, you know? These structures that we impute or impart ultimate reality onto, so much so that 
to bring us back to the orcas and why people take the orcas more seriously than people is that we don't trust people because we live in this monetary system where everybody's trying to flim flam each other. No one can be trusted because everybody's selling something. Everybody has an agenda or everybody is easily duped because we're duping each other as the function of our society because it's all a speculative bubble because Wall Street is a big fucking speculative bubble because our political system is all based on hype. Politicians saying they're going to do one thing and then doing the opposite. So we don't trust each other and that's why we don't trust scientists. Well, I, I do, but you know, that's why people don't trust them. It's why people distrust each other. It, it's ultimately that we live in a fantasy society. And so the orcas are like reality itself, rebelling against us, breaking our illusion. And it's something that you cannot argue with, that, that, that these whales are obviously not like articles I was reading like, well, maybe they're just playing. The fuck they are. Yeah. They're just playing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe humans are just playing in our little <laughs> game of money that's blowing up the planet. That's eviscerating all the life on this earth. Fuck no, they're not playing. They're getting serious fact. and it's reality fighting back. It's reality asserting itself. And that is the only thing that's going to break people out of their illusion. Is nature, is reality coming back. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's the... Um, uh, I, I would say that the biggest recoil that we experience as science communicators and 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 you know scientists and educators, you know, like all, all three of them, is that people live in this complete fucking facade. And then when you start to try to explain things to them, some of them will have the audacity to say, "You're like." you're giving us too much information or like we're not scientists like you know you gotta you gotta play to the lowest common denominator here or you know like something to that effect something along those lines and it's, it's like down. right and, and i'm like okay hold on so you've been given this horrible hand this setback you think that fucking like you think that hippopotamuses are just rhinos with horns you think that rhinos are related to triceratops and lay eggs and i'm and then i'm supposed to just only fucking tell you that rhinos are mammals and then leave it at that and not just inform you of all the other shit that goes on with these animals like that's really what you're telling me like when i tell people that orcas are like the closest relatives of hippos and everything and people were like whoa fuck it really like yes that is it and i'm not gonna like th th that's just the, the tip of the iceberg like that's literally the easiest thing that i could tell people but then what do people do with that nothing it doesn't pique any creative like interest in, in them they think it's just this weird isolated one-off evolutionary event as if it's not the most bonkers ass shit that you look out your fucking door and you see some palm trees that are monocots meaning they're more related to grass than they are to other fucking trees like it happens everywhere life is amazing and beautiful and all that it requires of you is that you just ask questions questions what the like i'm so sick of this shit like telling people that animals don't live in hierarchy every fucking time and that one of the only things that makes us weird as an animal species besides the fact that we fucking run run long distances throw objects really fast and sweat is that we've I created this thing of money like the whole thing money doesn't grow on trees to prop up that false sense of scarcity but in reality illustrating how ridiculous it is money doesn't grow on trees you're right so why do we give a shit about it <laughs> why if it's if it doesn't grow on a tree i don't fucking want it it gets typed into a computer 
Yeah, ninety. What, what, what Marlo would know the answer. How much? Ninety-eight fucking percent of our fucking money is a pixel. <laughs> God, I cannot even put into words how thoroughly unimpressed I am when I meet people and they have conversations about. Oh, you know, we had a one point six percent raise in the sales in our quarter four. <laughs> Whenever I meet somebody and 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 they're introducing themselves and. Like as if their identity is tied inherently to their occupation, and then they tell me, "Oh, I'm the assistant uh, vice co regional manager, director of sales." Like, I mean, you you mentioned David, uh, you know, David Graber. Like, hello, hello, bullshit jobs. Yeah, uh, right over here, please. We have that going on. People just care so much about money. Like I, I would much rather sit down and have conversations like this, talking about the the empathy and compassion and the wrath of a whale that wants its home back. Much rather than I would hear about, you know, teeing up on a fucking golf course. <laughs> oh, how how can we impre- increase profit margins next year? Like so unreal. Anyway, sorry. I went off. I went rabid. No, that was that was that was the per- that was the point. That was excellent. I do want to kind of wrap us up here because we're running up on time. But I did want to kind of end on this. Fuck, this is a long oh, conversation. Really? But oh, I want to end on this on this vision of uh. Can we go that again? I have been having. <laughs> of, we will go again, of course, of course. You're welcome on this show, I, Alan. Anytime you have a rant. You call me up and we'll get on the show. And, and, but I've, and but I've completely out. derailed this thinking that we could go for as long as we wanted. I had no idea that we were on a time crunch. No, I just I, I just know people people have other people have time crunches because of money. But I, I want, I've had this divided idea. You know, it, divided like, into two episodes. Do it. You won't. Well, uh, oh, you won't. No, no. We'll, we'll do another episode. We'll do another episode because we've gotten too far off the plot with whales here. But I want to end on this idea that this this very beautiful solar punk vision that I have of like seeing these collaborative relationships that people have with with like this dude gives a gives us gives a squirrel like fresh nuts and the squirrel brings him old nuts, you know, or like people have a crow like a like a dude has a crow that uh will bring him bottle caps or like loose yeah. change. Like humans can have this beneficial relationship to animals where we're actually working together. I see the intelligence of octopi and I see people playing with them and remember, and they remember them. And, you know, I just, I see this possibility, this very beautiful solar punk world of a future world. That's not like where we have robots that do everything for us. That's not nearly as interesting as like, what if we were actually working with animals? What if we had research centers underneath the water and we're like working with octopi and their little ten- tentacles are helping us do things and crows instead of drones, we have crows that are helping us. You know, people use carrier pigeons, homing pigeons or whatever to send messages all over the world. I mean, we, we could have this collaborative relationship with nature where we're actually working together with the animals and playing with them. Like I'm, I'm here in Colombia and for me, the best part of it is the fucking biodiversity, just to see other creatures, just to see a new bug like every day. It's wonderful. It's delightful. It fills my life in ways that, you know, a bunch of money that's going to be turned into like bullshit in a store. Quick, quick little thing. When I go through Walmart or a store and I see all these items, these different packaged items hanging on store shelves, first of all, I think about what an insane sense of disorder this is. We see order as being everything in straight lines. But if we reorganize nature that way, like we do on farms, we would destroy the natural balance. But I see for every different product, I just see another extinct animal. I just see yeah. another creature that doesn't exist anymore. 
for this illusion of product brand, you know, difference that there's 500 shoes that I have to access my hunter gatherer, you know, foraging abilities to find the one that doesn't fucking suck. You know, I just think that yeah. we have just, we have traded anything of value in life, which is all relational, which is all natural, which is all a connection to some greater story that these orcas are, are thrusting us back into and reminding us that we are nature, that we are this planet realizing itself and working together and all these beautiful high soaring sentiment that we, we've just traded that for such small, pitiful trinkets shit that shit that wouldn't even make it into the 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 giant tooth at the dentist's office as a prize for being a brave boy <laughs> so so weak are our goals and priorities i i i, I thought that about um what you mentioned about going into a walmart or going into a store because i knew that you when, when you came back to the states for a very brief moment and um i was like gosh the, the, the amount of culture shock that you must have had going from the rainforest to going into a f fucking Walmart. I mean, I like, holy shit. I, I, I literally can't imagine because I, I already experienced something to that effect and I haven't even visited where you are right now. But, um, I, I, I just think to remember at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was in the depths of, um, uh, what I thought was writing the end of my book. Um, and I decided to look into the number of like convenience stores and retail outlets and everything and finding how many of them there were in the United States and how many of them there were on this planet, because I walk into a Walmart and I don't just see one, you know, every one of those stupid little bobblehead trinkets or whatever as like being an extinct species. I just see it as, you know, the horde of trash that's going to, you know, basically be the, the, the plastic straw that breaks the orca's back kind of a thing. Um, and it, like, it's, it's just amazing how much plastic waste there is in just a single gas station in a single Walmart. I mean, you walk into any Walmart in the United States and then you realize there's another one five <laughs> miles away. Another one. Like, Oh my God. And then think about how much plastic is in there. I mean, I, I used to unload the trucks every morning in retail I would see how much comes into one and all the trash that it produces every single day. And I, and I basically, if you took every single one of those stores, whether it was a Target, a Walmart, a Ross, a TJ Maxx, a gas station, if you took every single one of those on the planet and you turned each of them into a single grain of sand and you put all those grains of sand into a bucket... Do you know how much that bucket would weigh? Forty the bucket's pounds. Made of plastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, the bucket would weigh forty pounds. There'd be forty pounds of sand, and each grain of sand is one store. And each store is like a bomb of trash, future it's trash. A bomb that's intentionally of trash. It's intentionally designed to be like, used once and to not stand up and to not be good. Like I'm sitting in the, this plastic chair right now that came from China on a, on a boat, burning bunker fuel, polluting the ocean, destroying ecosystems. And it's literally been sagging the whole time I'm here. And like South America especially just gets all the bad junk. That our society, our economy is literally based on more consumption increasing all the time. So there is a disincentive for things to last there is a disincentive for things to be good and quality and of the, the rich get get the quality and the poor get the shit and the shit ends up in the ocean it ends up in the waste dump it it's all based on this economic system that is you know killing us all obviously but it 
makes me weary thinking about that figure like it, it really does i mean like like when you really let it corrupt you to your bones just realizing the like when, when people hear the number of uh you know between overfishing and um nuclear waste and other uh like extra chemical dumps um and like increasing ocean temperatures um run off of fresh water into their um, algae blooms, et cetera, et cetera, plastic waste, that we're going to be out of f- uh, fish in the ocean by the end of the century, probably. People think that that's insane, as in they don't believe it. But when you let that number sink in of the whole, you know, how many outlet stores there are and how much plastic they go through, it doesn't seem like that far off, to be honest. When you really let it sink in, like every, every every plastic item you've ever touched, it's still there. Like I, I don't know how you guys feel about Bill Burr, but at the very least, he made a very good point in one of his stand-up routines where he said, "Hey, you remember that like that the fucking rollerblades that you wore back in the '80s when you thought they were cool? Yeah, they're out, they're out there tied around some porpoise's neck. You remember that that Metallica shirt that you used to wear and you threw it out, you know, when you were moving that one time? It's still there in the ocean, you know." Like the, like the, when you go all the way down to the bottom of the ocean, not only are you going to find marine snow from you know whales and orcas and lanternfish, but you find plastic. Like there, there, there's a yogurt cup down at the bottom of the Marianas <laughs> Trench. And if that shit doesn't want to make you fucking take a billionaire out into the street and then put them into their own like in, in, into their own like soda can, charge them two hundred fifty grand, and then have them sink. You know what I mean? Like, if that doesn't make you want to fucking do that, then I don't know what will. I mean, I just feel like we desperately need to um, find our role within this ecosystem. Like, we're the only species that's lacking a role that doesn't, like, live intentionally and purposely. We're just kind of out here. You know what I mean? And I feel like once we, like, unlock that capacity to do so, like, I've always envied just being in nature and seeing a a flock of birds just fly perfectly in formation or, like, seeing an orca and its uh, pod just um, submerging and um, emerging and submerging from the water just, like, so gracefully and with such ease. Um, It just comes naturally to them. We don't know what comes naturally to us. um, Our nature is very fluid and um i think like it's a yeah like we need to question the reality that we live in um i don't know why that's something that needs to be said but yeah once we do that um and tap into our potential like it's limitless there there have been some people that have proposed the idea of reclassifying modern humans as undergoing a sort of like cultural evolution to the point of no longer being homo sapiens but rather homo economicus because that is our because that is our ecological niche that we fill now um i mean that not, or a lack of ecological niche because before again we used to just be an upright bipedal persistence hunting throwing sweating primate but now we live in a false reality like it, it's just what we live in is an immaterial world of ideology that doesn't exist so First off, do you think that that classification or that reclassification of present-day humans as a homo economicus is accurate? But then also, um, to your point of we got to fix this and like find our purpose with nature again, what do you think that purpose is? Like, How do you think we could remedy that with 8 billion people on the planet? Yeah, that's loaded. And um, 
first, I mean, the first and foremost priority would um, ideally be sustainability. So we would tackle how we could um, alter our ways of living to more sustainable ways um, and renewable ways that won't deplete resources and cause inequalities and injustice and yeah, just global strife. Um, there are ways of going about that that um, probably are too complex to delve into at this juncture. But um, yeah, I would say we prioritize sustainability and collaboration above all else and let that be our guiding. Eight, eight billion humans, you know, who are wired for their purpose to be to consume, because that is our purpose, is to consume and to create more junk to be consumed. You know, human beings are really think the purpose of life is to go out there and and uh, improve the shoe, reinvent the shoe. You know, it's it's like we we have such pitiful, narrow-minded, bifurcated, dissected, atomized. I've used all these words before. Goals that our purpose is to consume because that's the function that we have in our economic system. It is a system that is broken apart by abundance, by sustainability, by efficiency, as Peter Joseph has uh, very astutely and uh, voluminously uh, detailed over you know his long career, or so much so much media and information. But the function of a human being in our system is to consume, is to destroy itself, as my my good friend Arjang said that a society whose function is its own destruction. Yet human beings, as you beautifully said, Ron, have not discovered our true function. Well, I will change that actually, because many human beings understand very clearly what their function is. And it's the peoples that I've met, the purest, best peoples I've met in my life on this world with the greatest consistency are, are the indigenous peoples of this place that I'm in now. They understand their role. They work to develop their role in society from childhood. And figure out who they are in the, in the community and they develop it and they get the resources and the schooling and the education and the, you know, the nurturing that they need to become themselves. And they understand crystal clear to where we, I was interviewing a whole group of them. And one of the, someone was like, you know, why don't the others speak? And he was like, because you can ask any of us in this fucking valley these questions and you're, you're going to get the same answers because we're aligned, because we understand natural law. I don't believe in free will because... I think, I mean, they have they re, they really understand on a very deep level that we we aren't just free to go do whatever we want. We have to live within the confines of nature, and if we don't, we are going to destroy ourselves. But within those confines, we are free, like to really understand our our true purpose to not be blinded by false choices, to go out there and further nature, protect nature, you know, increase the amount of water moving through an ecosystem, increase the biodiversity. You know, create the flourishing, not just for us, but duh, create human flourishing. That's not a fucking goal for anyone. That's antithetical to our system that's based on inequality, that sees inequality as a good. And then extend that to nature, which it's not extending. It's the same thing. The fate of us and the fate of nature is one. And if we work to increase the benefit and the flourishing of, of all life, it's going to trickle down to the individual it's going to trickle, literally, it's going to trickle from, from above us in the rain that falls into the soil, you know, into the aquifers, into the rivers, into the oceans, 
and it's not going to be this bullshit neoliberal economics, all boats will rise because that's actually raising the water levels by melting the ice caps. So actually neoliberal economics did raise all boats by melting the ice caps and raising the tides. But I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I, I want to say in, in, our, in my episode with uh, Simon Michaud, he said, he talked about how we need to develop a sense of purpose where what we do and what we are and what we do for fun are all the same thing. And he actually used the example of a whale, that what a whale is and what a whale does are all the same thing. And it understands itself perfectly. It doesn't wake up in the morning and question, what the fuck do I do? How do I make money? How do I survive? Uh, I got I to gotta make an app. I got to write a rap song. Uh, I got to design a new shoe. Just insanity. Insanity disconnected from any sense of reality. But uh, we're, I think we're really at, at time here. But uh, Alan, bring us home. Give us, give us some, uh, some food for thought. Bring us back to the whales. I will touch on the thing that you, that you guys were actually just talking about. Um, uh, Ron, you were talking about uh, we have to like, kind of like refine what to do, you know, reconnect and everything like that. Um, and in, in terms of like, you know, the, the orcas waking up and knowing what it is that they do, um, every single living thing on this planet occupies a niche, a niche being just the role that they play in their habitat. And I want everyone here listening to think of your niche not as something that you do in space right these orcas are doing their niche in the strait of gibraltar they're doing it over at the tip of argentina and chile right like they're doing it in oceans all over the world the niche that we play as people that will pave the way for a better way of living for the people around us this is a niche that we play in time we have a purpose here Right. So it's not like the, you know, the animals, they have their niche to play in space, in the wild, in nature. We unfortunately don't have that luxury. We have to make do with what we have now. And what we have is time. What we are doing is making it so revolutionaries in the future can see what we've done and pick up where we've left off in the case we can't finish the job right now. So become best suited to aid and assist in those future thinkers in those future people find what it is that you can do what you can contribute and be that be your own species of revolutionary right because that's what we need right now we need to have an explosion of evolution of thinkers and doers that's what i think i'll do with i don't think i ever got to answer your first question but um, I'm completely in agreement and um, accordance with what Marla was saying about just um, getting back into harmony with nature. I feel like communing with nature would be our ultimate purpose, just like um, every other species has their niche in which they're living harmoniously within their means and within the confines of their um, natural law. Um, we need to be stewards, like tend to the land and come up with um, sustainable ways of sourcing water and transporting ourselves without pumping the air with um, toxic chemicals from um, into the air that we have to breathe into our lungs so overall just yeah benefiting ourselves rather than plotting the map for our own destruction and demise i i just want to close this out with a, a quite profound tickling observation that studying whales and asking what is intelligence and understanding their nature 
is really helping us understand who and what the fuck we are better than we could ever understand ourselves is in the isolation of just human psychology. And I just think about the multiplicity of feelings they must be experiencing right now. The pain of, of watching their populations decline almost to nothing. The suffering, the hunger, the hardship, the trauma that they are put into a circumstance that is forcing them to risk life and limb like white Gladys, a great hero. I'm going to get her tattooed on me. A pregnant mother crashing into a boat to save the life of her future child. And, and I believe an understanding that she has that even the life of her own child, the most important thing in the world that we conceive of, right? Our immediate progeny is, is secondary to furthering the future of the whole species and the future of the planet. And this understanding, when we expand our identification and our sense of ourselves beyond this guy, these people, this species, this place, and include all of nature, we as a social species, our superpower is empathy, is the ability to network our consciousness to expand who we are and expand our ability to gather and create intelligence and grow intelligence by connecting to others. And, you know, we are at this incredible point where our technology and our science is both so fearsome and powerful that it could destroy all life, that humanity, this highly unintelligent species, uh, wielding the sum total of that knowledge and intelligence could wipe itself out and all life around us with it. But we can also use that to create on a scale never before possible. And so I think of the joy that those, that those baby orcas experienced in a cuddle puddle. Holy shit! Cuddle puddles! That's the name that scientists use to describe it. They have cuddle puddles. And this creature is risking its life just to live, just to keep going. And we, in our arrogance, don't care. See that story, identify with it, be a part of it, join them, follow their lead, follow nature's lead, not ours. We don't know what the fuck we're doing, but the more we get over ourselves and connect with others and more others and more and more and more and more, the more powerful we get, the more chance we have at, at a future. Folks, I know you're probably expecting more billionaire submarine jokes, but I really just didn't want to sink the seriousness of the whole thing. You know, I didn't want to drown you in tasteless jokes about rich people burying themselves into the deep in a coffin that they created themselves with a video game controller that they got off Amazon. I, I don't find any poetic justice in the fact that their workers warned them about all these things many times and they, that, that, that their ignorance brought them down to a watery grave. We all, of course, we know that billionaires are just the barnacles on the sunken hull of the rotted ship of capitalism and the operant conditioning that produces them and reinforces and rewards their behavior. Yeah, we know that. They're just symptoms, blah, 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 blah. I, I, you know, I don't want to inundate you with tasteless humor like that. I, I'm above it. Literally, I'm far above it. I'm, I'm leagues above it. I'm many fathoms above that. Hey folks, thanks for listening. As always, we need your support to keep going. 
it's a uh, it's a hard tough tough difficult world out there you know we, we can't all just swim around in the ocean all day like these damn freeloading orca whales we got bills to pay so supporting us on patreon donating to the website all that shit helps a whole lot and if you're interested in joining our volunteer group check us out moneylesssociety.com and of course get your hands on a copy of the new moneyless society book to go deeper onto our view of the problems and solutions i had such a great time making this episode and i hope you enjoyed listening to it this is exactly what i'd be doing if there was no money telling the story seeking the truth finding the others there is an ocean of alternatives out there teeming with life we lost at sea have to find each other like shipwrecks and cinch ourselves together like a life raft and drift toward this world that does not exist yet. 